Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors is not an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to Harry's.com/fool. It's Tuesday, May 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, investor at large Tim Hansen. Thanks for being here. I've been on. You've had me on a lot recently. We're on this, a hot has been, this has been fun. I hope listeners don't get used to this. <laughs> you gonna blackball me for another eight months after this? No, no, no. The people who are blackballed, they know who they are. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that why I'm on so much I'm... now? You blackball most of the company? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, so as I mentioned yesterday, we're we're taping this early because our multimedia team is uh, is in a training. So uh, if there's breaking news on on Tuesday, do we know what type of training they're in? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, it's, is it, it technical training, sensitivity training? No, no, no. no it's technical. Okay. It's, it's technical training. <laughs> It's yes, it's a, it's video, it's video training, it's yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, but so I wanted to talk to you about something. So this came up last week. You and I were slacking back and forth about this, and then I had a meeting um, with uh, Greg Strassel, who's an executive from Hubbard Radio, um, one one of one of the better run, if not the best run, radio companies uh, in America. Um, and he was asking me. He's like, "Have you talked about that?" I said, "No, we haven't. We haven't talked about this story yet. But but I think we need to figure out a way to." Um, and it's the drama that's going on at CBS. Wow! And it is. It could be on their own network. It really. Well, here's the thing <laughs> for for those unfamiliar with what's happening, and we'll, we'll unpack this. But it really not only could this be um, a fictional drama on uh, on CBS or any other network. Um, this would be if this were a reality show playing out. There are parts of it that you'd be like, "Oh, come on! Yeah, that wouldn't really happen, would it?" Um, and you, you know, you've looked at this more closely than I have. But essentially, what is happening at CBS is a massive battle in the boardroom for nothing less than control of the company, where you have Sherry Redstone, who is the daughter of Sumner Redstone. Yes. Um, who has a massive amount of voting control? Yeah, almost eighty percent is looking to force a merger between CBS and Viacom, and has been for a couple of years now. Yeah, and on the other side, you have uh, just about everyone else on the board at CBS, right? At CBS and Les Moonves, uh-huh. who runs CBS, powerful guy. Very powerful, and uh, in terms of and well respected uh, in his industry. Yes, and if you look at the programming track record of Les Moonves, you understand why he's so well respected. I think they've been number one fifteen years in a row. Something yeah, like that. and when he took over, I'm pretty sure they were dead last. Well, it, interestingly, the reason Viacom and CBS got split up in the first place was because uh, Sumner Redstone thought CBS was holding Viacom back. Well then, <laughs> and now here we are. <laughs> And so you have. How about those predictions? <laughs> predictions are funny things. They're funny when you see how they play out. So we had this drama where the board attempted to essentially dilute the voting ability of Sherry. Yeah. Manstone. So through uh, National Amusements, uh, which is a theater company, they own about ten percent of the stock of CBS, but seventy-nine percent of the voting control. And they want this merger to happen, and they want it to be done at a price that's um, not not. Very good for CBS shareholders, but pretty good for Viacom shareholders. It's not clear to me why Miss Redstone is so passionate about recombining these companies. I mean, I, I, she could just be throwing her weight around, or you know, she wants to 
dilute the power of Moonves or something along those orders. But who knows what the origin story is here. Um, but the board has a fiduciary duty to all shareholders, and so they obviously don't want this merger to go through because they don't think it's a good merger or a good price. So yeah, they 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 wanted to issue a, sto a voting stock dividend to everybody else that would dilute her voting control down to like twenty percent. Uh, yeah, something of that order. And then, um, but before they were able to do that, um, she. Managed to uh, successfully amend the bylaws of the company, which she's allowed to do because she's still the controlling shareholder, to say that no dividends could be issued without 90% board approval at two separate meetings 20 days apart, which basically prevent them from doing anything. Um, That's a strong move. Now, they went ahead and did it anyway, <laughs> pending, and this will maybe this more will happen by the time this runs. Pending uh, a ruling um, in Delaware Chancery Court as to whether or not what they did or what she did is legal. Yeah, I, I'm. And so there are almost like two parallel CBSs that exist right now: one that doesn't have a controlling shareholder, and one that does. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the the time difference because we're taping this on Friday afternoon. So by by the time this runs on Tuesday, this could several more chapters of this drama could have played out. Yeah. Um, it's wild, though. I mean, as well, you know, and I think the reason it's relevant to um, everybody listening is, is um, I bet everybody listening owns a stock that has a super voting shareholder or a super voting class. I mean, they've become so prevalent these days in very um, common common stocks: Facebook, uh, Snap. Um, Doesn't Alphabet have Alphabet, so on and so forth? And you know, people say, "Oh, well, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is, is a visionary, is a benevolent visionary. Why would I not want to trust him to control the company?" Well, what happens if you know? Uh, what what happens if Mark Zuckerberg's deluded children take over the company and have super voting control, and they want to force through some self interested measure? I, you know, this is one thing where I think, from a corporate governance standpoint. Um, it's it's fine until you you know stress test it, and then all of a sudden you're like, this is a debacle. Well, and that's the thing where it's like we have seen um, in other cases uh, that trust earned and rewarded, where it's like, oh, I trust this person, or you know, or these people who have voting control, mm -hmm. they have the super majority. It's worked out fine. That's great. This is the bad version. Yeah. This is this is this is what the debacle version of of uh, supermajority looks like. Yeah, and the board doesn't. Have, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, controlling there are laws and regulations that surround being a controlling shareholder, and and the Delaware court said, uh, for example, that it could uh, intervene if you know she does something that's that's outside of those responsibilities. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the controlling shareholder controls the board, but the board's supposed to represent everybody. How, how does that all fit together? It doesn't, you know, and and it's one of those um, inconsistencies that only gets shown in, in cases like this. So rare, but but important. Well, and Nell Minow is going to be on uh, Motley Fool Money uh, next week, and uh, I'm definitely going to ask her about this because it, you know, in a way, you're. I can see both sides of this in, in this regard. The board is living up to its responsibilities. Trying to, yeah. Trying to live up to its responsibilities. And, you know, the, the way it's written right now, Sherry Redstone is like, no, look, I, I've got, you know, yeah. in, in theory, she is not superseding her power. She is exercising every bit of power that she has. Yeah. It's all legal at this point. 
So, at what point, if any, stepping away from CBS and this whole drama, in your own investing, to what extent, if any, do you look at this type of situation or avoid it? At any point, when you're going through your checklist of, I'm going to buy shares of this company, where is essentially board strength and sort of majority control? Does that ever factor into it, or does it just sort of go on a small list to the side where you say, well, I don't love the way this is constructed in terms of who has voting control, but it's not going to stop, but I like the business more? Yeah, I'd like to say it's the former, but in reality, it's probably more the latter. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'd prefer independent boards with, you know, non-staggered elections and so on and so forth. And and you know, when we, when I worked in money management, we voted our proxies. We always voted in favor of those things. But a strong business is a is a strong business. Now, I don't delude myself into thinking that that in a in a company like Google. You know, owning the voting shares is really going to matter at the end of the day. So if you're going to buy Google now, you know, or Alphabet, buy the non-voting shares. They're a little bit cheaper, and the value. There's no value to being able to vote. You know, if push came to shove, your voice doesn't if really count. Yeah, if you're just you know a retail investor, Joe Oblot, as they as they say. So, does that prevent me from owning Alphabet? No, I'm a shareholder. Do I like it? Not really. <laughs> but I don't like a lot of things that I res- <laughs> that I've resigned myself to. <laughs> That's part of being an adult. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's not just part of being an investor. That's part of being an adult. Um, all right. Well, we'll get to something that you're that you are interested in in just a second. But I want to say a quick. It's thing. so sad. It's so sad. It's not so sad. <laughs> quick thanks to Harry's. I love Harry's. I've been a customer for years. Well before they started sponsoring this podcast, Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades. But they know that switching razors is not an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Which you can claim by going to harrys.com/fool. The trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trim blade, a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I, I, I love Harry's. There's a lot of technology. That's a lot of tech, but they they just make or great a lot stuff. of a lot of good copywriting. It's <laughs> you know what? It's actually both. I got. I have a bunch of different Harry's products in my home. I love them. Uh, our dozens of listeners can redeem their trial set at Harry's.com/fool. Make sure you go to Harry's.com/fool to redeem your offer and let them know. Let them know that the Motley Fool sent you because it helps support the show. So, Harry's.com/fool. Um, let's talk about something besides the, the the popcorn spectacle that is CBS what are what are you what are you looking at these days it can be a company it can be a trend it can be an industry what what has your attention these days yeah I read a really uh, interesting article uh, about a week ago on something uh, that the author called the hyperfragmentation of retail which was um, a, you know I think is an emerging and important trend in in business and and what it, you know it is is you see it Online, you see it in your community. You know whether it's um, you know in the D.C. area. You know we've got what 20, 25 craft breweries now popping up. You know uh, D.C. Brow, Port City, Aslan, so on and so forth. Um, and then on, on, online, you got all these um, you know niche brands that are filling interesting spaces in the market. Whether it's like Everlane and the transparent pricing, or um, you know Warby Parker was one of the original ones to come in there and just do. I'm just going to do eyeglasses or Bomba socks and these. These are strong, and they're almost like they're—they're all—they're not luxury brands, but they are—they um, are—they are strong sort of uh, uh, 
consumption brands. You know, you're showing off a little bit when you when you wear your Bomba socks or your uh, Warby Parker glasses and so on and so forth. And what I think is interesting about that is obviously on one side you've got Amazon that's just consolidating, consolidating, consolidating. But then on the other side, thanks to technology, you've got all this proliferation of all these smaller and smaller brands. And what's happening is obviously it's eating away at all those not as big as Amazon, but not as appealing or not small. As specialized. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, this is where um, you know the the General Millses and the Posts of the world are getting hurt. Uh, are getting hurt, um, and I think the winner. And this is a very long-winded way of coming around to the fact that um, I think Square had a really nice quarter, um, and companies like Square and Shopify are the ones powering this uh, hyperfragmentation. And then, obviously, the ones benefiting are also the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebooks, where they're doing a lot of their advertising and, and finding their customers. Um, but yeah, Square I thought had a great quarter. Um, they're doing some really, really interesting things to acquire customers and to. Um, grow their footprint, including they acquired uh, Weebly, which puts them into like yep. the website development space to really directly compete against Shopify. But they've already got so many customers on their payments uh, platform. That's a really nice ecosystem. And then uh, more and more uh, to help small, medium-sized businesses, they'll do for an additional one percent uh, take on your on any charge that goes through Square. They'll instantly deposit the cash in your account, so you can manage your working capital better instead of having to wait, you know, two, three, four, five days to get that cash. So. If the world is going there, um, I think there are some really interesting winners in the public market space. Even though you know the Aslan breweries of the world are likely to stay stay private, and man, do they have delicious beer! <laughs> do they? Oh, it's in out in Herndon. It's it is it's expensive, but it's good. Worth the drive from is, here to Herndon. It, yeah, well, or if you can get our colleague Eric Bleeker to bring it in for you when he <laughs> when he commutes. <laughs> That's a, you know. I think Eric Eric told me he went to buy some beer for me there, and he was like, my wife saw the credit card bill and wondered what I could do buying four hundred dollars worth of beer, and he's like, it wasn't all for me, it wasn't all for me. So, so two thoughts on what you just said, and I'll, uh, I, this was going to be the second one, but since we're already talking about beer, this reminds me a little bit of something <laughs> that, that you had told me years ago when we were uh, in this studio talking about. Uh, the beer industry, and one of the examples that you use to illustrate the challenges that the the big brewers have um, was Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. And I remember you talked about, look, if you go to a a, a giant or a Safeway or a Harris or whoever, like a big grocery store, then there's a lot more shelf space. And if you're Budweiser, you can you can pay for that space, and that that space is more important. If you go to a smaller grocer, if you go to a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods, there's much less space, and so the the big the the small independent brewers. I mean, just to pick the Whole Foods right down the block from us here at Full HQ, Port City, local brewer here in Alexandria, basically has as much shelf space at this Whole Foods. As some of the biggest brewers in the country do, and it seems like you know what was playing out in the Whole Foods beer section is now playing out in retail writ large. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring up Whole Foods because I think, um, and there have been there was a Harvard Business Review article about this recently. Um, it, uh, the changes that have been happening at Whole Foods since they got acquired by Amazon, and Whole Foods now uh, is clearly trying to act more and more like a. This is a bad term, but you know what I mean, like a big boy grocery store, um, where they've been pushed, they've centralized a lot of decision making, they've centralized a lot of the inventory management, where it used to be radically decentralized. Like the beer guy at the Whole Foods down the street could put whatever he wanted wherever he wanted, um, and now I think that stuff is coming down from 
headquarters, for lack of a better word, and and the SKUs are being reduced. I don't know if you noticed how many out of stock positions they've had at that Whole Foods. How the I think the range of choices has shrunk. Clearly, that's Amazon trying to make Whole Foods more profitable, and some of this started before they made the acquisition. Um, but I think it's hurt the Whole Foods experience, and I've heard more than a few loyal customers complain about that. Um, and yeah, I think Whole Foods is actually one of those companies now that's stuck in the middle. Amazon's trying to make them more like Amazon, but they're going to lose that business. I think that made that business special, you know, five ten years ago. The other thing I was going to mention when you when you talked about Square, um, the thing I always think about with Square is just the ease of use. Yeah. And talking years ago with um, you know a couple of of people who just had side businesses, like they would <coughs> they would pop them up at a farmers market. Yep. And talking about just how. Not only how easy Square was to use, but how much easier it was than all other options they had. Yeah, it's really elegant. It's a really elegant design. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, generally, I, I recently uh, actually purchased shares of the company. I'm normally loath to buy a stock with you know a, a valuation that looks kind of crazy, but um, yeah, I think they have a lot of things going right for them. And, and in a move, you know, another mega trend, cashless world. They're sitting in a really nice. I mean, you can say PayPal, Venmo. I think Square is easier to use than any of those, frankly. Venmo is super easy to use. Though. It is. It is. As as yeah. I mean, you may already know that, but certainly when your kids are older and they're like, "Hey, can yep. you just yeah?" Then it's yeah. Although for our old man soccer team, we're all Venmoing each other for the, <laughs> for the you know entry fees to the league and things of that nature. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.